Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Whisperer, which was quite likely the killer himself, as split personalities were as common as colds after the darkness, had already silently departed when I first heard the sirens. I was surprised to see the throngs of police cars and other emergency vehicles. I had traveled the wilds between cities for so long, I had almost forgotten about the formal consequences of murder. As for the Whisperer, He was no one I recalled, but the sheer scope of his work spoke to a thoroughly practiced monster, well versed in the ways of killing and vanishing. And I must admit that, at first, his brushstroke seemed hopelessly uninspired, merely the feral craft of a common thrill killer. But when I was instructed to look out from that high vantage, beyond the crows and corpses, It all came together into a finely woven tapestry of death and solidified purpose. 
The killer had deliberately recreated a scene from one of my own memories. No doubt the image had been somehow preserved within the dream the killer had stolen from me. The memory seemed to be a selection from some portion of my dimly remembered past, as it possessed no context, just texture, bodies, ruins, and fire. It was a distant and time-yellowed recollection, and carried with its remembrance the smell of burning flowers. It was clearly a wonderful day. As I recalled beyond the image of the fragrance, was that my mother was present. Even now I can clearly see her standing atop a distant flowered hill, surrounded by fire and death. Her lips were glistening with wet twilight reds, and her eyes swallowed the sunlight into bottomless oceans of black ink. Delicate burning flower petals blew across my view of her, and she smiled at me. The rest of my family was there, standing at the top of the killing hill, the sun burning behind them all, turning their silhouettes into the blackest shadows light can conjure. The unknown killer had proven that his reach extended all the way into my past, and there was nowhere I could hide from him, or at least, that was what he would have me believe. In truth, I was grateful for the artistic recreation, and the method of its execution did high honors to my family, as I was certain they were as impressed by the feat as I was. The unknown killer had, in addition to stealing a glimpse of my memories, deprived me of a clear view of my own prey. It was strange to think of a mythological figure as prey. I could see that the mechanics of the killing game were ever-changing, tightening, better enabling the separation of wheat from chaff. However, the dream that I had presumably taken from Tom Hush had not been entirely stolen as I had awoken with a small portion of it still intact. The dream seemed less like the nocturnal art of the legendary horned demon, and more like a dream that merely included imagery of the creature. So I returned to my original thesis. Tom Hush was merely a pretender to the other world, not the supernatural entity itself. If true, then I was seeking out a man, which of course was a tremendously disappointing hypothesis. Despite my compelling analysis, the partial dream did contain something wonderful, and most likely beyond the simple imagination of a killer, regardless of his pedigree. There was something terribly vital about the thing that drew near the edge of the forest inside a dream, and I couldn't deny the possibility that the actual demon may have been treading the fleeting soils of the ephemeral woods. Where exactly that thought left me, I didn't know. I would need a more complete view of my prey, and for that I would need to pry my dream from the jaws of a particular and toothy whisperer. That I am a dreamer of no small skill should go without saying, as I am the only man to have ever trespassed into the nightmared lanes of New Victoria, both its waking and wakeless incarnations, and lived to contemplate the experience. So, when I lay down to sleep the night directly following my encounter with the Whisperer, I had good reason to believe that I might find a way to preserve my dream from the predations of a fellow monster. 
My sisters laid in my hands, laughing at the moonlight that danced across their beaming smiles as I fell quickly into sleep, and the baleful eyes of my father lit the way into contested nightmare. I set foot into a room filled with cages that hung from a water-damaged ceiling. In each rusted cage huddled a dead-eyed child studying me from behind the bars. One of them started to speak. You know our names. You know them. My father's giant hand seized me by the shoulders and thrust me beyond the words of the small boy, aiming me towards a gigantic wooden door. I did know their names. The door was nothing to me. My dream-carved hands tearing it away with ease. The darkness that replaced the door was pierced by a single amber light. I surged towards that light, my family walking by my side. I realized that the light was a window that looked down upon a now familiar and fantastical forest. We stood before the window, staring out. My sisters were fogging the glass with their breath and drawing strange shapes upon the misted panes, giggling. The hot light from my father's awful gaze fought with the moonlight attempting to frolic atop the canopy of the wondrous forest. Finally, his inhuman glare illuminated something that I had apparently missed the last time I had the dream. A small, straight-jacketed man was seated on the ground near the entrance of the woods. As before, the forest began to hemorrhage woodland animals. I needed to know who that man was. My father's axe was almost to the glass when we heard something from behind. A door had opened from the shadowy depths of another hallway that also converged upon the window. I had initially failed to notice these details, as it was the way of dreams. Something was strolling boldly towards us, soaking up the darkness. Hello, said the Whisperer. Greetings, little Whisper. Have you come again to deny me what is mine? I asked. I'm afraid he has. He really should have run. This can only go badly for you. So you've intimated through memory, fire, and death. And I thank you for that, by the way. It was quite lovely. Enough! You talk too much, boy. Just kill the feeble thing and be done with it. My father's hateful eyelight fell upon the whisperer, revealing a corpulent and unusual man. He was covered in stitches, straps, ropes, and even staples. His eyes, nose, and mouth and ears were painfully sealed off from the outside world leading me to wonder how the Whisperer managed to whisper at all. Oh no, now you've gone and done it. He's coming, said the shivering, sealed-up man. The sound of straps stretching and stitches ripping apart began to fill the corridor. Who, or what, is coming, little Whisperer? I asked. I'm pretty sure it. he... Is the end of the world, the whisper responded sadly. I was born with the apocalypse inside me, you see. It's just a seal. I'm just a seal. Fleshy wrappings for the thing that will inevitably doom us all. Me, 
flimsy little me is the only thing standing between myself and the thing that would destroy all life as we know it. And he's always trying to get out. I've tried to keep him locked away, but I'm afraid he gets out from time to time. You should see the awful things he's done. But ever since he killed me, he's proven much more difficult to put back. I think it's the game that we're playing. It's giving him a new will, a power he never had before. I'm begging you to wake up. He's all the more terrible inside a nightmare. Just then, a bleeding seam in the man's abdomen tore open. Eyes the color of blood ignited, pushing back against my father's burning gaze. What a fantastic place you've brought me, Marvin. Oh, and look at this. You even managed to corner my next victims. How delightfully thoughtful of you. The terrible voice blasted into the room, washing the lingering echoes of my father's rage from the air. The tearing and snapping sounds intensified as Marvin began to swell and split, firing blood, flesh, staples and stitchings into the shadows of the nightmare. Something was stepping from beyond the ruined curtains of Marvin's dreamed flesh. The end of the world was as monstrous as it was marvelous. Heedless of the unearthly transformation and the doom it foretold, my sisters and I advanced. But before we could engage Marvin's lovely counterpart, my father's massive arm swept us aside, clearing the way for himself. He roared with laughter, stepping before the monster Marvin had become. This is the end of the world? <laughs> I never imagined it would be so small. Marvin chortled back. Do you really expect to stop the end of all things with an axe? With this axe? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I do indeed. My father said with a sinister growl, holding up his giant blade in front of his burning eyes. My father crashed through the gigantic window headfirst after receiving a blow that, should it have been delivered outside of a dream, could have beheaded a man. But it was a dream, and my father was no ordinary man. My dread forebear immediately recovered from his flight and fired thunderous laughter up through the twinkling rain of glass shards. The end of the world leapt through the shattered window after him, following the stream of burning laughter and my father met him in the air. My attention lay elsewhere, however. I leapt through the yawning window and appeared at the edge of the woods, near the shivering man in the straitjacket. The forest was on its last breath, the fleeing wind having shrunken to murmurs. I could feel the incipient silence swelling monstrous and terrible. Something was making its way to the clearing. I looked back into the broken sky of the nightmare, where glass tumbled like broken teeth from the open-mouthed window, where two devils wrestled across the worlds of three minds, all of it held together by the unseen hands of a dark shepherd. My father continued to laugh in the face of the end of the world, and Marvin's better half continued to fend off the touch of the axe that followed his every move 
as if it were his own hateful and serrated shadow. The tethered man's eyes were fixed upon a small path that entered the glen from the forest, and all the while the silence swelled as a storm of darkest thoughts began to assemble just beyond the brambles. The man's fear was drawing the thing from the forest as surely as death catches flies. When I reached the man, he was sobbing and calling out to the approaching thing, demanding that it leave him be and to trouble him no more. But the storm of silence wheeled closer, denying the man even his weak words as they were eaten from his mouth the moment he spoke them, leaving him only tears and terror. I stepped betwixt the storm and its destination, looking down upon the trembling man. Who are you? I asked but my words were torn away by the storm. I seized the man by the leather strap so tightly binding him, drawing him close, so that my words might reach him. The silence was nearly upon me, and the entire world, molded from dream though it might have been, began to fade into whispers as the night paled into the quiet of forgotten places and half-remembered names. I began to feel my own persona washing away, leaving behind only the uncovered bones of my willpower and an ever-depleting sense of purpose. The man was screaming now, trying desperately to convey something to me. I could almost hear what he was saying, but before I could make out his screams, the world died into the raging calm of the silent storm, and something stepped from the woods. Standing atop cloven hooves and casting a horned and hateful shadow that caused the grass it fell upon to twist and curl like spasming insects, stood the inimitable Tom Hush. The creature was dressed in the finery of a child's unfettered imagination. Claws, antlers, and a death mask of palest bone accompanied a grin that could freeze the hottest blood. When Tom Hush's shadow crawled across my body, I could feel the silence of ancient buried bones, unspeakable memories, and the cold rhythm of countless dead hearts soaking into my skin. So, the shepherd has sent another of his little wolves to the slaughter, eh? The dream world had become the creature's voice, a singular and fearsome note in an ear-splitting song of silence. Words were once, when dreams ruled over waking, the vessels of great power, and could carry with them an authority that commanded the day into night, and the unruliest storms into stillness. And so it was with the words drifting within the whispered voice of this ancient creature. Yes, was all I could utter. I was compelled to say naught else. Are you so quick to die, child? All for a game? A game you cannot possibly win, or even understand. He has you all running around like rabid dogs, snapping and snarling at each other without having the faintest reason why. But I suppose such is the nature of dogs, to obey and not to question. I'd run along if I were you, little pup. Chew through that leash she's got on you and forget you ever dreamt that little red dream. 
Now, I'm off to do my good business, and I'll not suffer the bother of mutts who think themselves wolves. My voice was dead. I could not speak. The creature was beyond my expectations, extensive though they were, and my purpose had melted into wonder. My confidence had become awe. Distilled from all the dark spectacle was one simple realization, although its simplicity made its implication no less monstrous. I had indeed been called upon to kill the actual Tom Hush, not some dark simulacrum sculpted from human dream. Yet despite the intoxicating darkness of the otherworldly creature, I had been taken to task by the Shepherd of Wolves, and I meant to demonstrate my proudness. So I called out to the thickets behind the antlered myth. My sisters sprang from their hiding places, their loud smiles untouched by the primordial silence, and sang their metal teeth into the flesh of a legend. As Tom Hush sundered his own silence with a roar that rivaled my father's, I turned to the pathetic man wearing the straitjacket. Give me your name, now, I shouted into the broken silence. David Link. I'm Dr. David Link. Please, find me and kill me. Tom Hush's rage and indignation melted the dream of forest and night into a ghastly nightmare of red-stained stoned altars where the rotting husks of numberless men, women, and children uncoiled in gruesome displays of ritualistic death. Looming above it all was a somber and sinister antlered idol whose barely concealed smile spoke to an endless fascination with humanity's ridiculous attempts to satisfy what they could never hope to appease. You dare? Howled the horned thing as my sisters laughed and laughed, cutting and dancing. Yes, was all I could utter, as I was compelled to say naught else. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.